This episode is about emotional bypassing and using embodied and somatic experiences to process our emotions and stress and traumas. And what I'm going to share with you is really predominantly based on my learnings from various um, specialists in the field of stress and trauma. So people like uh, Gabor Mate, uh, Besset van der Kolk, uh, Peter Levine, and um, Halakuri, people like that. So, um, and also on my own personal experiences. Now, emotional bypassing is incredibly common and it can cause us to feel um, really wonky, but it can also make us very unwell longer term. So it's really important that we understand it, but also that we know how to deal with it. And just before going on to emotional bypassing, I just first want to cover the mind, body and the stress response. What do we mean when we say the mind-body connection? Well, to separate the mind and body is, is false because the mind lives in the body and they aren't two separate things. It's just one completely interconnected, complex system. And even Aristotle said, all those years ago, um, one cannot separate the mind from the body. So I just call it the mind-body. Now, often with our higher brain, our cognitive mind, we can bypass things that are true for us and convince ourselves otherwise. And in many ways, the body itself doesn't lie um, because the body carries our stories, our history, our ancestry. It carries so much information that it's, and it's kind of like a GPS system. And what happens when we have either unresolved past trauma or too much stress? The GPS system goes kind of wonky. And when we're not releasing stress and trauma, our bodies can register information about the world that isn't actually very accurate. So contrary to popular belief, these things aren't all in our mind, so to speak, but are in our body. And it's not purely thoughts which lead to feelings. Feelings are the language of the body and are what's referred to as our emotional body can impact our thoughts and behaviour, so it works both ways. Now I'll just briefly break down the stress response, um, so I want to help you understand how we carry stress in our bodies and what happens when we deal with stressful or traumatic situations, and then go on to talk about um, how embodied and somatic experiences can help us release stress from our nervous system. So there's something that we're doing all the time and it's called neuroception. And neuroception means that we're constantly scanning our environment for cues of unsafety. The thing about the brain is that we're more wired to notice the bad stuff rather than the good stuff. And this is because in nature, if you're walking through the woods and you hear a rustling in the bushes and you quickly jump, and there's a big venomous snake, for example, then that's potentially going to save your life. But noticing the beautiful sunrise up ahead might actually get you killed. So we need to notice the bad because it's what keeps us safe. It's a, it's a very basic inbuilt survival mechanism. Now, Rick Hansen, who's the author of a book called The Buddha's Brain, 
uh, says that the brain is like Velcro to negativity. Uh, the bad is sticky and we hold on to it. And sadly, we don't naturally um, hold on to the good as much. Now, this isn't a bad thing if you're in a dangerous situation, of course. But in daily life, if you're fairly safe from harm, but you're worried um, consciously or unconsciously that you're unsafe in some way, then that can really prevent you from being present and from having the best experience of life. And it also creates a lot of stress in the body. So imagine that you were to hear a loud banging sound. The first thing um, that you're going to do is orient to that sound to assess whether you're in danger. You're going to ask, am I safe? What's going on? Now imagine there's a massive bear and we're therefore in genuine danger. You know, our life is at risk. So what happens in the nervous system is the sympathetic response, which we more commonly know as fight or flight. And when we're in fight or flight, our brain secretes adrenaline and cortisol, our heart rate goes up, our digestion shuts down, our breathing becomes shallow, and lots of energy rushes to our extremities. So we have all of this energy mobilized to fight the danger or to run away. And being in this fight or flight mode is kind of like being a superhero. We're really capable of amazing things. And, you know, you hear stories of grandmas lifting cars up off of children and other people doing amazing things to save lives, um, their own life or, or those around them. Now, let's say that a bear comes and we go into this fight or flight mode. We manage to find a way out and we're able to run. And so we utilize all that energy that was mobilized to get ourselves to safety. And then ideally, once we get to safety, someone says that the bear's gone, you're completely safe. And once we really feel that we're safe, what then kicks in is the parasympathetic response, which is more of the rest and digest. And so then our heart rate goes down, digestion starts to resume, the brain secretes dopamine and serotonin, so we feel better. And then our normal breathing resumes. And we kind of return back to homeostasis and and really, this is what we're designed for. You know, we're designed to have these temporary physical threats and to um, either fight or to, or to get away. But if we take another scenario, let's say the bear comes, but there isn't an exit and we don't have the ability to fight it off with our hands. Well, I certainly don't anyway. Now, in addition to fight or flight and rest and digest, there's actually a third option, which is called freeze or collapse. Now, the freeze or collapse response is where we will literally freeze in our trap. So you have all this energy mobilized to fight off an attack or to run, but you're not actually doing anything with it. So in nature, if there's a predator coming and the animal gets really, really still, it's more likely that the predator might think it's either not there or that it's dead. And so the freeze response is um, super effective but what if the bear comes and we freeze and then somebody arrives and scares it off and says look you're fine so the bear is gone the danger is gone and that you're now safe well the danger may be gone but we have all this energy flooded in our nervous system that we haven't done anything with so this is where things can start to get a bit problematic i love the work of peter levine who is a medical biophysicist and he noticed that animals in the wild don't show signs of stress or trauma despite constantly being threatened by predators. 
And so he began to study what are these animals actually doing in the wild. And he discovered that they actually have a way of releasing the energy that was mobilized for these traumatic experiences. Now, I watched a video of a possum that was being chased by a fox. And the possum was too small to fight and it wasn't able to run away. So it just played dead by laying on its back, completely frozen with its eyes open. And the fox kind of sniffs around it and then it just leaves. And so the possum then starts to shake and it shakes like really like crazily. And then it just takes a breath and it gets up and it kind of runs. And what it's doing is it's completing the fight or flight impulse. We also see this in nature documentaries as well, where let's say there's a gazelle and it's being chased by a lion and it gets away. And then when we know it's, when it knows it's safe, it, it, it does this like kind of violent shaking. And if you've never seen this, then you can just look it up on YouTube. It's, it's, it's really amazing. But it makes total sense. Because if we have all this energy mobilized to fight something off and we never get to use that energy, what we find is that that energy kind of gets stuck in the body. So animals actually discharge and release that energy from their bodies by, um, by doing the shaking um, or the running. So let's move on to look at emotional bypassing. So this is where we really we want to bypass discomfort. We want to um, bypass our uncomfortable feelings. And look, I hear many, many, many people do this, especially in the self-proclaimed conscious and spiritual communities. Let's say the bear comes and you freeze. And then when the bear is gone, someone says, you know, how are you? And you're, so, and you're like, oh, I'm fine. I totally manifested that bear. That bear came for a reason. And then you journal about the bear and come up with all the reasons why you manifested the situation and all the things that you've learned. And then you might go off and have a bottle of wine or go and get busy or do something else to numb or distract yourself. There's nothing wrong with finding meaning in a traumatic event, not at all. But when you do this, it bypasses your feelings. So if we do that, we're basically not admitting we were scared. We're not admitting we had all this fear. We're not processing the energy. We just go straight to, okay, let me understand it. And then, you know, let me then, you know, go and do stuff to distract myself. And that's bypassing. And it's very, very common because most people don't want to feel uncomfortable emotions or uncomfortable feelings in the body. Now, what research shows us is that we have to release this energy from our bodies. So ideally, um, what we do after the bear um, is we would, whether it's alone or with somebody else or in, you know, in, in nature, we would just let ourselves cry and shake and tremble and, and do whatever we need to do to um, feel all of the sensations that are arising and do what we need to do to kind of discharge that energy. And then when, they, when we're on the other side of feeling all of those sensations and, and releasing the energy, we can then settle down and, and start to think about it and think, well, okay, what, what might that mean? You know, what could I maybe, maybe learn from the situation? What could I learn about myself? So if, you, if we go back to this bare situation, if you, if you hadn't discharged the energy, you still have this impulse living in you to run away. And so you might be watching a nature documentary 
and you see a bear and automatically your body can go into fight or flight. And this actually happened to me when I'd experienced some deeply, deeply traumatic things at the hand of an ex-partner. And then when I saw, I hadn't processed the, fully processed the, the trauma. And so then when I saw someone who looked a bit like him, I actually got a severe physical reaction and I started to, to feel really shaky. And so this is how we know that this GPS system, so to speak, isn't working properly. Our body, our nervous system is designed to move us towards safety and pleasure and away from danger and pain. But now your GPS is sending you away from the nature video. And suddenly what happens with unresolved trauma or undischarged stress in the body is that we aren't able to be in the present time and things that are in the present trigger sensations and feelings from the past. So if you perhaps think about your own life, are there experiences that you've um, had that you kind of know that you never overcame and that tend to repeat themselves? Or past experiences that you are still concerned about that aren't actually in the present moment? So for example, if you were harmed or abandoned by somebody that you love, you might find it hard to read the cues of whether you're safe in a relationship and you're wondering whether you're going to be left. So just maybe pause for a moment and really think about what undischarged energy, emotions or impulses from your past might still live in your body right now. And so how do we, you know, thinking about how we actually release this stress from our bodies, you know, whether it be from traumatic events or, or just chronic stress, both of which I actually talked about a couple of episodes ago. And this is really where... Um, embodied and somatic practices come in. So these are really about using the body and connecting and feeling. So it's not a mind thing, it's, it's actually an emotional body thing. And often when it comes to our, our emotions and our feelings, I find that many people focus on the mind and trying to use the mind to overcome these things. Um, but actually, we really need to focus on the body and doing embodied, um, uh, sort of within using the body um, practices. So, so this is really using um, our body as a tool to develop awareness and, and feel whole and stay present and feel connected and, and know ourselves and feel really empowered. And these are things like breathing, yoga, meditation, which of course are all very similar and connected. They're all kind of part of the same sort of practice. So as an example, maybe you're walking down the street, you see someone who looks like somebody who did something terrible to you, and you can actually say, wow, okay, like my heart is racing, I'm feeling this fight or flight sensation in my body, I'm going to take a moment and breathe and get grounded. I'm going to orient to the present time. Um, and then allow my nervous system to regulate itself. But then we can also do physical things with the body to discharge energy. So if we've had a traumatic experience where we feel our nervous system is agitated, um, we, can, we can kind of do what the animals in the wild do, you know, really complete the fight or flight response. So that things like that would be um, dancing, shaking, uh, shouting, singing, running, um, trauma release exercises, all, the, all of that kind of thing where we're creating movement and discharging that energy. Now, I actually used 
most of these techniques to recover from fibromyalgia, which was a result of a combination of long-term, um, what I call low-grade stress and being in kind of survival stress um, mode, but also from a serious trauma that actually sort of kicked it all off, which I hadn't actually processed and discharged and healed properly. So the combination of those things, unfortunately, led to um, fibromyalgia. I also use these techniques on a regular basis to deal with certain things that happen. So uh, last year, for example, I experienced a, an assault when I was living in, in, in Bali in Indonesia and I was was quite shaken and I remember going back to my to my um, villa and I was messaging a friend who's actually was in in Bali as well who's a trauma specialist you know she said oh do you want to come over and I said no I just want to I just feel like I want to curl up and just hide and she said well you know that's not the right thing to do right and I said oh yes of course and so you know she said what I what I already knew, which is you need to just shake, dance, put some music on, you know, get that energy and discharge that energy. And so I did that. And when I when I literally put a song on, I can't remember which song it was, um, but I put a song on for like four or five minutes and then I just I just danced like crazy and sang. And then a little while later, I just started to feel the um, need to cry. And so I did. I just allowed it. You know, one of the problems we have is that we, we, we've been taught not to cry and not to release our emotions. And so I felt the urge to cry and I just, I just cried and I really allowed myself to feel the unpleasant feelings and allow them, my body to process them. And then, you know, a couple of days later... I saw a, um, a, a bike, a red bike coming towards me, which looked very similar to the bike that the person who, who assaulted me was on. And they were coming towards me and my body started to get jittery. I felt my heart racing and I felt a little bit shaky. And so I, again, I just did the same thing. And then I was, I was fine after that. So in my experience, it's, it's really helpful to do these practices at the time of something like that happening, but it's also great to have these sorts of practices as part of our day-to-day -day life so that we can really keep our nervous system healthy because day-to-day -day life can provide chronic stressors and these continual little traumas, um, especially at the moment with everything that's going on, so that you know, the baseline condition of our nervous system can be quite agitated and that affects our behavior, it affects how we feel, it affects all sorts of things and longer term it affects our health. So it's really important that um, we do these things to help us feel good but also to build, continually build our resilience and make us strong. And it's also important to understand that we all handle stress really differently. So we all have different coping mechanisms because our nervous systems actually register stress differently. Now, if somebody's like an on person, then if they're not um, dealing with their um, stress, they tend to look anxious, move quite quickly, and they're always doing stuff. They always seem like they're in a bit of a panic, like they have a heightened energy, um, and, and they tend to try and keep themselves super busy. And then other people, when they're stressed out, they just shut off, like they just want to sleep, they get tired, they get kind of down. 
And so the question is, well, why don't humans just do what animals do? You know, why don't we just go and shake and tremble and just have our feelings and release them and just go on and you know on our merry way? Well, part of the reason that we don't do it is it's been so socialized out of us. We, you know, we've been taught um, in our culture, it's a very kind of pull yourself together culture. And we've been taught that you're fine, you know, just brush it off, keep going, be positive. And this is, again, we, we hear this a lot in the sort of spiritual and personal development communities to just be positive all the time and just keep pushing and keep going. It's it's false positivity, it could be toxic, and it's it's bypassing. And you know, in most cultures, we're not taught to sit with discomfort and to acknowledge our pain and our vulnerability. You know, we're, we're taught to either ignore it um, or to numb it out. So it's, it's socially acceptable to use, you know, alcohol or food or shopping or being busy or drugs or whatever to numb out our feelings. But it's a lot less acceptable socially to say, you know, this is how I feel and, you know, I'm really scared or I'm really shaken up or I'm feeling really, you know, whatever it is you're feeling. Or to just sit there and cry. Like people get, I mean, I love a good cry because it's so good for us to release. Um, but people get very uncomfortable crying and they also get very uncomfortable seeing other people do it. And people will normally try and shut you down and you maybe do it as well to others um, because it makes us feel uncomfortable. So we're, we'll often say, oh, don't cry. You know, just, it's fine, it's fine. Don't cry, please don't cry, please don't cry. And that actually just makes it worse because we're stopping people, we're denying people's realities and denying their feelings or denying our own feelings. So we're really being trained in our culture to bypass this um, so that we can appear um, so-called normal. But the thing is, it's not you know, it's far from natural. And indigenous cultures all had and have practices of releasing and discharging energy from the body. But through um, colonization and oppression, indigenous people were, were literally killed for performing their healing practices. And all of us have indigenous roots, all of us have ancestors who had these practices of healing. But when we're in a culture that values control and productivity, being this way and doing these things you know, is, is tricky. So connecting to our um, sensations and to the parts of us that feel out of control is actually really important for healing on a physiological level. So, you know, we can't transform that which, which we, we aren't willing to feel. So I always say you've got to feel to heal and if we can't feel our fear or anger or frustration or shame, for example, then we can't heal it. And so we really have to connect to those parts of ourselves and release that energy that's trapped in our bodies. And then we can be truly healthy and well, not just now in the present, but also in the longer term. So... I hope that's been helpful and if you are not already subscribed, you can subscribe to the podcast to make sure that you are notified of all future episodes and I would love you to share with anybody who you think it may be helpful for. And finally, thank you for listening and I wish you a wonderful day.